Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Is that working? Doesn't sound like it's working, is it? Okay. It's my ears, it's not the equipment. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25 as we continue to look at messages uh, related to the season of Advent, uh, which means to come or coming. And so Christ is coming. While you're turning there to Matthew chapter 25, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 30. Josh mentioned uh, during his announcements that Equip will begin on January 7th. And we're going to be doing it a little bit different this year, uh, this semester anyway. Uh, we have 16 weeks to fill. And uh, boy, a 16-week course, I wasn't sure that we could do that. So, uh, so we're going to do eight, two eight-week courses and you'll go through one, and then the classes will flip, and you'll go through the other one, okay? And so everybody will get to go through both. And let me just tell you what we're doing. Josh will be teaching on the fruit of the Spirit uh, for eight weeks, and, uh, and I will be teaching uh, simultaneously at the same time. I will be teaching eschatology. And so we're going to be looking at these things. I've been asked a lot of questions. I know Josh has concerning uh, end times with all the things going on in the world today. And so I, I think it's a good time for us to take a look at that. Uh, Fruit of the Spirit, what a wonderful topic to speak of, how the Spirit is at work in us and, uh, so, and, and how He has given us uh, great gifts. So I want you to uh, look forward to that and be ready to sign up for that. And uh, you'll be seeing those sign-ups very soon. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. It runs on the heels of chapter 24, just in case you didn't know. And uh, chapter 24 kind of begins talking about uh, the Lord's coming, okay? And the end of times and the end of things. And Jesus reverts that and turns it into talking about the kingdom of God. Talking about... Uh, when, when he comes again, talking about the consummation of everything. And he lays out some parables in verse chapter 24 and uh, uh, chapter 25 uh, to speak of the uh, necessity of us waiting for him, of us looking forward to his coming. And so those are the principles of all the parables leading up to this one, the parable uh, of uh, the talents, or some have called it the parable of the worthless servant. Um, that waiting that we're going to do, he's, he's describing that waiting and in, in being ready and being prepared for his coming. And so he's speaking of readiness, of an attitude, of a waiting, of a longing even. Y'all may remember a couple of weeks ago, I described that word wait as literally meaning uh, looking with outstretched heads. And so it's, it's like, I can't wait for this day. I'm looking forward to this day. But here in verse 14, something else comes through. And we're encouraged to wait, and here it's saying, this is how you wait. That's what these next two parables are about. This is how you wait. 
this text is often used to speak of stewardship and giving and tithing and such things as that. And it can appropriately be applied there. But it's not only talking about money. As a matter of fact, primarily, it's talking about being good stewards in your whole life. Good stewards of how God has gifted you. That word steward simply means manage. And so I've entitled this managing life. Managing the life that God has given you. Uh, Being a good steward in every aspect of life. In everything. And so I I want us to, to look at that today, thinking about we're waiting how do we wait? One of the, the, the themes of this is lost opportunity. Lost opportunity. Have you ever lost opportunity to do something? Lost an opportunity to do what you ought to do? What do we do while we wait? A way this can be applied is, and we, as we look at it, is I want to bring up a term. You may have heard it. You may not have. Nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity. Uh, I, I want us to understand that what this, is, this parable is doing is it's saying nominal Christianity, it, it's not going to get you there. We'll talk a little bit about that later on, if I remember But I I think it's important for us to understand that we don't want to look back in this life and say, you know, I should have done this. I should have followed in this way. I should have made these choices. And we're talking about spiritual things. Life things. Spiritual things as they relate to being children of God. John Greenleaf Whittier, a poet, uh, wrote these words, this little couplet uh, in another poem, in a poem. It's a couplet within a poem, Maud Mueller. He says, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. As Christians, we receive instruction that when he saves us, He changes us, and He, before the foundation of the world, has laid out works to be done by those who are His. And so I I want us to think about managing life or being good stewards of this life. I have three points I want to lay out for that purpose. First of all, is that everything we have has been entrusted by the Master. So just entrusted by the Master. Everything. Secondly, I want us to to see that we have a responsibility of managing the trust that has been given to us. We have a responsibility to manage the trust. So managing the trust. Because... There's coming a day when the manager, the Lord, 
will settle the accounts. There's a day coming for that. So I want us to consider these three things. First of all, that all things have been entrusted by the master. Look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. God has entrusted us with the gospel. He has entrusted us with new lives. I want you to know, apart from God, the life you lived and the life you were living was bound for destruction. He has entrusted you with a life that is redeemed, a life that is new. There's an old song. I don't remember all the words to it. I just remember this. It's talking about some street preacher standing on a box and he's proclaiming the gospel and his message is new lives for old. Cold hearts for new. Something like that. New lives for old. Here's the exchange. Shouldn't do that if I can't remember the words, right? I ought to write them down. But it does say new lives for old. That's what we've been given. I mean, the life you had was wretched. The life you had uh, was bound for hell and destruction forever and ever. And what did he do? By the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of grace, he opened your eyes and he saved you from total destruction forever and ever. Destruction that does not stop. Death that does not cease. He gave you new life. And when he did that, he entrusted you with something. He entrusted you to live that life in a particular way. I love that he's given us everything we need for that. He entrusted something to you. Man, you know, there's a story of a kid, he wanted his driver's license, and he kept bugging his dad, hey, I want my driver's license, I want my driver's license. It's kind of like, son, you can't take the trash out. What makes you think I'm going to entrust you with a $20,000 car? You see, God's given us far greater gifts than cars. He has entrusted, we've been entrusted by the master. Not with things that are not his, but things that are his. Things that belong to him. He's entrusted them to us. Notice what it says. It, for it, the kingdom of God. That's what he's been talking about. That's what he's still talking about. It's going to be like this. Now, we got to be careful not to allegorize this because parables are not allegories. Parables are teaching a particular thing. You don't take each part of a parable and apply something to it because it'll start breaking down if you do that. It's got one point to it. Don't be a worthless servant. See, I already gave you the end. No, we're not going to stop now. 
Don't be aware. That's the point. Some people want to take and well, it's the ascension, and this is don't start applying that stuff to it. Let it deliver the point that Jesus is delivering. It, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, his servants. They belong to him. They're his. Do y'all know all creation and all human creation belongs to God? Uh, There is no human being that is not in his hand, not his. Now, I don't mean his in terms of redemption and salvation. I mean his to do what he wills with. All. Everyone. But it says his servant. Now, these were sometimes accountants, okay? Uh, sometimes they were employees who would manage the money of the master. And they would do that whether he was present or whether he was gone away. But here I think Jesus is specifically pointing out that these are servants. Now, servants could have been employees also. But I think he's pointing out that so that he would let us know, look, this is inclusive here. These are people who say they are His. If we say that we are His, if we are His servants, His servants do what brings greatest glory to their Master. I think that's one of the things that is really driving In this parable. Secondly, I want you to notice he called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Uh, By the way, anytime you're reading a text, always look for the pronouns that are speaking about God and emphasize those because it's always about him. We're secondary in the story. But he is. Property. Uh, He said, Here, I I want you to take this and I want you to tend to this. He says, He entrusted them with His property. He gave them authority over that property to exercise wisdom with that property. The servants knew exactly what He wanted them to do because they went to it. So uh, the money belonged to the master. The talent is a measure of weight, by the way. Some people want to take this and use it in terms of our talents, our natural talents, our natural abilities. That's not what's going on here. Can you make application to that? Yes, you can. And I think it's right to do so. But that's still only one thing. And I think Jesus is speaking broadly of all of life that we're to be stewards over. So a talent is a measure of weight. Uh, Some people have calculated that this is 40 years worth of wages, the, the, the five talents. 
you know, that's going to be relative to what the talent is. Is it gold? Is it silver? Is it some other precious metal? Is it jewels or something like that? So the weight and the value is going to different, differentiate. So all he's pointing to is five talents. Five talents of something. But it is something to invest, and it doesn't belong to the servants. It belongs to the master. It belongs to God. Anything that you have, you have received from God. That breath you just took, gift. That's something that God gave you. I mean, everything is His. What are you going to do with that? So, it's an enormous amount of money that was given. And we should see and recognize how God bestows on us great wealth in kingdom currency. Kingdom currency. Not here. Not merely here. But kingdom currency. 1 Timothy 4.8 Paul reminds his disciple, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Godliness has great value. Now we're talking kingdom currency. He's not talking about just doing stuff. He's talking about the pursuit of something that exalts Christ and something that benefits the child of God. Godliness. It's good for now, and it's good for the kingdom that's coming. It's here, and it's coming. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power, isn't this great? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Which things? All things. Everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. He's given us everything. We should be able to see ourselves in this as children of God, that He has given to us His property to be used for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom and for the good of mankind. So He is entrusted to us Everything and everything that is necessary to live out this life to his glory. Not only that, though, I want you to see in these two verses. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Stop. Then he went away. Now stop. Notice his distribution. According, he distributed it according 
to the ability of the servants. Everyone doesn't have the same abilities. Some are more intelligent than others. Y'all notice how politically incorrect that was, right? Not supposed to be talking about that. Some are more skilled than others. Some are more physically capable than others. Our capabilities, our skills, our intelligence, all of those things and then some come from God. And we're not to waste it. We're not to waste it. We're not to choose our own desire and our own design, but God's. We're not to spend it or bury it in the ground. But we're to use it to the glory of God. So we're looking at His servants, His property, His distribution, and they've been given to the likes of us, to the likes of some servants in the house, to some guys who may have been intelligent, but it was according to their abilities. God's not unfair, and He's not unjust. He's just to give people differing intelligence and ability. He's just to do that. He's just to give people different stations in life. So we see that God gave according to their abilities. And that speaks to expectation. What does God expect from His children? He doesn't give without expectation. He doesn't give in frivolous ways. He gives and says, hey, you have much? Do much. And that's where we get to this point of managing the trust. Managing the trust. Look at verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. <laughs> two very different scenarios. They had different abilities. They had different things that God gave them. One, five, one, two, one, one. And the expectation was for them to take that money and use it according to their abilities to bring about a return on investment, if you will. But more than anything, to demonstrate love and loyalty to the master. And that's what you see in the first two. Notice what it says there. It says in verse 16, uh, the one who received the five talents went at once. By the way, it doesn't duplicate that, talking about the one who received two talents. But that applies to the one who received two talents. Both of them went at once. 
There was an eagerness. There was a desire in them. There was something in them that says, I want to glorify God. I want to do the will of my master. I want my master to be pleased. Anybody want God to be pleased with you? That's what it's saying. I want him to be pleased. The Bible tells us that we are pleased, that God is pleased through faith. Through our faith. And I'm going to tell you, without faith, you won't go do anything at once for the glory of God. And there was just this, this exuberance, this, let's go and do this. And it says that they went and they traded. In other words, they started a business. <laughs> they went and they started a business. And that business brought about a 50% return. I mean, boom, there it is. Let's just double this up. That's good. That's astronomical. What would we do with that type of return? I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but they went at once. There was love and loyalty in these two servants. They went and they started a business, and in starting that business, they were able to make money, and in making money, they were able to support their families. They were able to support the church. They were able to support people who were broke. They were able to support people who were down. They were able to support the poor. They were able to do all kinds of things. But it's not just about the money. It's about the urgency and desire that God stirs in our hearts, being children of God, saying, I'm going forward and I'm doing this for the glory of God and for His kingdom. But then you have this other servant who was given one. And he went and hid his master's money. The focus of this parable is on the servant who does nothing. The servant who says, I'm a Christian. And there's nothing to show for that statement. People will say to me, you know, my sister said this. She, she believes this, and it's way off from, from, from the Word of God. And I tried to answer them, and they just they don't have anything of it. And I said, go ask them for their source. What are they basing what they believe on? Nominal Christians... They base it in a bunch of language, but nothing else. Nominal Christians wear Christian t-shirts, but that's about as deep as it goes. They have plaques on their walls. They have coffee mugs. They put them in their office cubicles and hang them on their house walls. You say, well, Rick, I got those. Okay, but surely that's not as deep as it goes. All of life, nominal Christianity is what's going on here. He went and he dug a hole and he buried his master's money and spends the rest of the time waiting, not serving the Lord. 
He's a professor. I'm not talking about an educator in a college. I'm talking about somebody who professes Christ. And there's absolutely no fruitfulness to show for it. Because the kingdom of God is filled with fruitfulness. And citizens of the kingdom of God are filled with fruitfulness. Nominal Christianity has no place in the kingdom of God. There is no broad way into the kingdom. You say, what is nominal Christianity? Well, my first answer is, it's a farce. My second is, it's being a Christian in name only. You've heard the expression regarding moderate Republicans who are called what? Rhinos, Republican in name only. Well, I call these people crinos, okay? Christians in name only. I want you to know there is no place in the kingdom of God for someone who does not surrender their whole self to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no place in the kingdom of God for someone who merely says, I'm a Christian, and then does not live out the principles that God has laid out in His Word. That person is a fraud. Rough language for Christmas, Rick. It's truthful language for Christmas. Christ did not call us to Himself, nor did He suffer the agony of the cross for us to do what we want to do. He did so, so that we would do what He wants us to do. What He has called us to do. And he's done so and says, I understand the abilities I gave you. Here's here's your responsibility. And he gives us those. Now, folks, the Bible says something that I'm going to be held to a higher account than you are. Based on the office that I hold and the position that I hold. And some of you aren't teachers and some of you are, are, don't, don't teach the Word of God. As a matter of fact, you're kind of like, feed me some more. I want to hear some more. And that's okay. But God expects your hunger to be there. He expects you to want that. Because whatever you receive, you're going to pass on to your kids, right? We don't have equal distribution. We don't have equal gifting. We don't have equal skills in things pertaining to the kingdom of God or anything else, really. But we do have a responsibility to manage what has been entrusted to us whether you receive five or whether you receive one, doesn't matter. 
same expectation is there. Go. Invest your life in the kingdom of God that is to come. Lastly, ooh, <laughs> hang on, we'll do a blitz, okay? Lastly, settling the accounts. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing goes on with the one who had two talents. Same thing. Enter into the joy of your master. Anybody looking forward to those words? Anybody got your head outstretched waiting for those words? What is it that you said? The joy of the master? Not the joy of this world. Not the joy of the things you have. Not the joy of the station of your life. But the joy of the living God. To be in his presence forever. Isn't that going to be great? Got me an amen over here. I'm excited about that. Enter your joy. How do I hear that? Don't waste the property of the one who saved you. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the opportunity you have. We waste it in trifles all the time. In things and in property that we can obtain. We waste it in useless activities. We waste it in so many ways squandering the opportunity that God has given us in this life. Saved us. Saved me when I was 14. I'm 57. Thought I was 58 all year long. I get to do it over, okay? But I've been saved all these years. Don't waste it. And I look back and I think of ways I've wasted it. Of ways I could have done it different. Of ways that more glory could have been brought to him and more souls saved and more children fed. Do you? Or do you hide that away in some little place, little dark closet of your mind and not think about that? These guys, they did something with it. They did something with it. They didn't waste the glories of heaven that God had given. But they spent their life for his glory. The worthless servant, he did nothing. What does it say? Listen to what he says. 
The one who received one talent, verse 24, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. By the way, that is not reverential fear. That is punitive fear. I was afraid that if I lost it, there would be a penalty. Or if I didn't do well with it, there would be a penalty. I was afraid of the consequences, the punitive consequences of not doing it right. So I went and dug a hole. And I put your money there. Hey, but I remembered where I buried that thing. Here. I put it back into your hands. Basically what he's saying is, no longer my responsibility. That's what's going wrong here. No longer my responsibility. I kept it in trust. Now I'm giving it back to you. The master says, you know, you knew that I was this kind of guy. You knew that I was a hard man. I reap where I don't sow. If you knew that, the least you could have done was go and put it in the bank and let it draw some interest, not put it in the ground. And what does he call him? Wicked and slothful. By the way, if you're not catching it there, the interest would have been enough. (laughs) The interest would have been enough Enter into my joy. You could have at least done that. That would have been somewhat industrious. You could have at least done that. Enter into my joy. No. Throw him out there where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's not. He says he knows me. He doesn't know me. You could have at least gotten some interest. Hey, guy with five talents... If you'd have just gotten interest on the five talents, that would have been fine. But no, that's not what they did. They went out after it. Let me give you some quick things here on application. All we have comes from the Father, and we are called as stewards or managers to live the lives He has given us in Christ for His glory. Charles Spurgeon said this, when your will is God's will, you have your will. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. And y'all take it home and think about it, okay? It it, it sounds tough, but it's not. Uh, When your will is God's will, you have your will. In other words... The stewardship of this life is accomplished by throwing our own will away and submitting ourselves to His will, and His will becomes our will. And now we gladly go and do God's will because it's our will too. Secondly, your station in life is irrelevant in fulfilling the desires of God. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. 
if you came from a place where you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or you were born in the ghetto like this guy. It it doesn't matter uh, how much money you have or how much money you don't have. The opportunities that you've had, the privileges that you've had or not had, that's irrelevant. These are privileges and gifts from God that flow from heaven. That's what we're working off of. Not off of any station in life that we have in this life. God is able to overcome all of those things so that you will work to your own ability to accomplish the will of God and to do the will of God and to hear the words, enter into the joy of your master. It's all there. It's not just about money. It's not just about career. It's also about faithfulness and compassion and service and love, and the list goes on. Actually, you can look over at the next parable of the sheep and the goats, where he says, the king will say to those, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Why? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. When did we do that? When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Your station in life is irrelevant to fulfilling the desires of God. You can do it from wherever you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much prestige you have. It's about how submitted to Jesus Christ you are. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This parable is not about money alone. It's about life, all of it. Richard Baxter, old Puritan preacher, said, To do no harm is the praise of a stone, not of a man. He's talking about the worthless the worthless servant. I didn't do any harm. See, it's intact. That's the praise of a stone. Any stone can do that. I'll close with a quote by J.C. Ryle, who says, Let us leave this parable with a solemn determination by God's grace never to be content with the profession of Christianity without practice. Let us not only talk about religion, but act. Let us not only feel the importance of saving faith in Christ, but do something. What do we do while we wait? We do the Lord's will in every way that He has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your abiding grace. Lord, you never leave us. You never forsake us. Your grace is always on us. Your grace is constantly outpacing our sin. And Father, through your grace, you pour out beautiful gifts to us, uh, gifts that flow from heaven. 
And I pray, God, that you would give us instruction on how to exercise the grace that you've given us in love and in compassion and in caring and in service. And, Father, that you would be exalted in our hearts and in our minds. And, Lord, that all of our life would be about you. It would be about exalting you, bringing glory to you, boasting in you, and not ourselves. So, God, we exalt you with our hearts and our minds and ask you, God, for your continued grace and for our continued submission to you that we would be ready and we would continually be doing that which readies us for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.